for ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I hope that you're glad to be together this morning on this second Sunday of Advent. We welcome you and are so grateful to, uh, to be able to spend this hour or so together. I uh, just want to say a couple of things. Uh, one, if you are a guest this morning, if you are new to our fellowship, and, and when I say new, it may be in the next or last few months, you've joined us. Let me just invite you to our guest reception next Sunday, right after the 11 o'clock service. We'll meet in the FLC. We would love to get to know you better. It's an opportunity. I believe this. One of the greatest gifts that God gives to his people is in fact his people. And so we think it's a real privilege to get to know uh, new friends all the time. We're the Friends Church, but we are, never have ours. And we'll talk a little bit about next steps and you'll get to see our entire staff and it'll be an opportunity for us to just begin that real connection that we would really love to enjoy with you. And what a great time of year to do that. The other thing I thought I'd just take a moment and share as we uh, near year end, boy, the uh, your giving is a big part of, of, of that. I just want to, again, thank you so much for your generosity this year, which enables us to do all the things that we believe God is calling us to do. As we look at year end, you probably are not surprised to hear we're about $30,000 behind actual expenses. Now, I think we can make that up this year or make that up in the next few weeks. Now, that sounds like a, a big figure. It is. But it's also very possible that we can uh, make that up. And I wanted you to be aware of that. Again, we are just so grateful that God has provided. We'll continue to do so. And uh, I wanted you to, uh, to uh, be praying about what that year-end giving might be like for you and your household as, as you make those decisions in regards to your own generosity. It's my privilege right now as we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord that... Uh, uh, to lead you in prayer. I'd invite you to join with me and let's, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to prepare us for the word that he intends to share. Father, it is with hope we come to you this morning. The hope of Advent reminds us, Lord, that your first coming, you came in a manger, but the second time you will come in the clouds. The trumpet will sound. You will be on your throne. And all and every eye will know and see that you are Lord of all. Lord, prepare us for that moment, even as we reflect on and look back at Christmas. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this hour we might hear your voice. We might hear the tender call of our shepherd 
and we might be more conformed to your image. I pray, O oh Lord, for those who are hurting, for those families that have lost loved ones recently and even in the past year. Lord, this can be an especially difficult time for those who grieve. And I just pray that, Lord Jesus, you would give them a sense of your comfort that could only come from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for those who are lonely and looking for true fellowship. May the church, may your church be a part of that answer. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that preaches the gospel with clarity and others would be invited into your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that the miracle of that grace would occur this morning as I take this pulpit and as I share. I pray, O oh God, that you will bless our nation and those who protect it, those who lead it. I pray, God, that you would give them wisdom in these troubled and chaotic times. I pray, Lord, for our, our uh, outreach this afternoon at the, the North Olmsted Noel. I pray, Lord, that uh, there might be connections made and friendships developed, that, Lord, our community would know that we are here and that we would be a true light of hope in the darkness. And as this Sunday we, we talk about peace, I pray, God, that you would give us a peace that passes all understanding no matter what is going on, the turmoil we see, the tumult of all that is happening in our world, may we recognize that you are in control, you are good, and we can trust you. We give you this time. We recognize, Lord, our need for you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin here reading through verse uh, 26, and I didn't bring my glasses with me, so this may get interesting as we uh, do this, but I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together. It's, it's, we're going to read down through verse 56. This is an extensive part of scripture, but I think it's important to have the entire story in mind. Verse 26, Luke chapter 1, let us begin with the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one who has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has lifted the hungry with good things, but he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. If you were here last Sunday, you heard an exceptional message from Pastor David as we celebrate this light that has come into the world. But I think it's also fair to say that sometimes that light seems to be hidden. Sometimes that light is obscured. It's, it's shaded by the chaos and confusion of the times that we are living in. When Caleb, Micah, and I went to Ann Arbor last weekend, we, we thought we knew what was going to happen. It hadn't even entered our minds that, that Ohio State was going to lose that game. There we were in that big hole in the ground with 111,000 other people. And, of course, there, there's no chance of sitting because they packed them in so tightly that literally we watched the game sideways just to make room. And, and, and you know, so, so it was very, very uncomfortable. But we stood the entire game sideways just watching our beloved Ohio State getting dismantled by that team up north. And the problem with that is it is very easy to fall into the trap of wondering, does God really know what he's doing? My sons were, they were in a bad mood on the way home. I, I will put it that way. Maybe their dad was too, but I won't stay talk about that. But then I think about the Christmas story. How many times those individuals who were part of this magnificent plan of God must have thought that God, does he really know what he's doing? You see, it's only when we look back at the story do we see how God's plan comes together. And, and, and it occurs to me that is so often the truth when it comes to our own lives. It's only when we look back at our story that we see that God kept his promises every step of the way. 
But when you're in it, when it's chaotic, when it's confusing, it doesn't make sense. It looks like a mess. I think it's interesting, when you look at the Hebrews, the way they thought about the future, in their language, they thought of it as behind a person and not out in front. Of course, in, in our day and age, when we think of the future, we think of looking forward, looking ahead with the past behind us. But not the Hebrew people. The Hebrew said, what I can see clearly is what has already happened. They talked about stumbling backward into the future because you don't know what to expect. That is the unknown. That is the part that you can't see. The only thing that you can see is the past. The future you're not so certain about. The promises of God give hope to be certain, but it is only in looking back do we see how clearly God brought it all together. And so when I think about Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, they had no idea what God was up to. They could not see it all. It is only in hindsight, when we look back at Christmas, do we see how God's plan unfolded perfectly and it becomes clear what he was doing. This morning, I want us to look back at Christmas and over the season of Advent, we're going to do that, and we're going to do it through the characters of this story. And I want to begin this morning with Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I want us to especially listen to her song. I, I want you to think about this with me as we begin. We live in time and space. We live in the dimension where we exist. And in fact, it is impossible for us to even comprehend what it is to live outside of uh, the dimensions of time and space. All we know is time unfolding. This happens, the next thing happens, something happens after that. One moment leads to another. But you know, that's not how God exists. God does not see time unfold one moment at a time. Instead, he sees everything in its completion. He sees all of it, all at the same time. It's the difference between one who has read the whole book and one who is just reading a page of it. God has read the whole book. He knows the story. He sees it all at once. But what I love about Mary is, and what is so amazing about this, this humble girl, is even though what was being told to her didn't make any sense at all, she knows she's just reading a page of the story, and that's okay. She knows that she is part of a larger story that God is writing, and she has confidence in God's ultimate plan. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. You know, when we, we trust God in the moment, there are a lot of times when it doesn't make sense. There are a lot of times when we're confused. There's a lot of times when we're hurt. And there isn't much clarity. But it's in those moments where faith takes over. You may not know what God is doing, but can you hold on and trust him? When you look back at 2021 and all that happened this year, 
when we look back, we're going to eventually be able to see that that road was straight. Of course, it happened that way. I, I, I don't know how, I don't know when, but there will be a day when you look back and you recognize, oh, it all came together. It all makes sense. And that first Christmas demonstrates, I think, this truth. Now, this song of Mary is sometimes called the Magnificat. Simply translated, that means to magnify, to praise, to exalt the Lord God. It really is, if you think about it, the first Christmas song. It isn't necessarily set to music, but it is a song. Some of us are already full into listening to Christmas music. In fact, how many of you have tuned in the radio station or you've got the playlist on your iPhones? Any, anyone willing to admit? Yeah, a lot of us. Now, how many of you were doing that before Thanksgiving, before God intended for you to? Okay, yeah, yeah, there's a problem there I don't quite get, but that's another sermon, I guess. But, uh, you know, what, what fascinates me is this is a weird time of year, isn't it? Mary and I and Joshua were the other night in Red Robin having dinner, and of course they've got a Christmas music playing in the background. And I find myself kind of listening to the music, and it's very eclectic. You know, you go from Oh Holy Night to uh, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Or you go from Ave Maria to Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And it's just, just kind of an interesting dichotomy there of, of music choices. But Mary's song, Mary's song reflects the true meaning of Christmas because it's a song that glorifies God and expresses the hope that is found in the Christmas story, namely the very person of Jesus. And so Mary expresses, even without understanding all that God is up to, she expresses to God this song that, Lord, I trust you, as she reflects on this conversation with her cousin Elizabeth. Now, if we think about this story, one of the things that has to hit us in the face is the fact that God chose Mary at all. The truth is, you probably wouldn't have chosen Mary. We really don't know much about her. In fact, if you put all together what we know about Mary in a biography, the biography would, would be about one page long. It would take up just about a page. We, we don't know much about her life, even when she was the mother of Jesus. We really don't much know much about her as the mother of Jesus. We don't know much about her uh, and what happened to her after Jesus died and was rose again and then was lifted to heaven. You know, the church has some traditions that have been passed down, but we don't know much. We, we don't know where she died. We don't know when she died. The Bible just doesn't tell us much except for this. This is the picture we have to have of Mary, that she was a humble servant. That's what we know about Mary. She was a humble servant who lived to magnify the Lord. And it occurs to me, maybe that's all you need to know about Mary. Maybe that's all we need to know about Mary is that she was a humble servant who lived to magnify the Lord. Now, of course, over the years, the church, and I'm talking big C church here, has tried to make a lot more of Mary than I think she would have ever been comfortable with. She never wanted to be the star of the show. 
Some in this room may have grown up in traditions that, that sort of idolized Mary. For instance, Mary is sometimes referred to as the mediatrix. Mediatrix, this, 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 this title has been given to her, and what that means is, is it's the idea that it's not just that Jesus is a mediator between God and man, but Mary is a part of that too. And so we can pray to her, and she mediates for us on behalf of our issues and our problems. Yet, if I look at the scriptures, the scripture is clear in Timothy. It says, there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So when we pray, we pray to God the Father directly through his son, Jesus Christ, and we pray alone to, through him. Another title that is often given to Mary is co-redemptrix. This means that Mary was somehow part of redeeming the world, that she too is a redeemer. Yes, Jesus saves, but she's a part of salvation too. Yet again, if we look at the scriptures in Acts 4, we find salvation is found in no one else. You can't be saved by any other name except for Jesus, for there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And so anything that diminishes what Jesus has done or takes away what he alone can do has to be suspect when it comes to our theology. There's one more title that sometimes is given to Mary. That is the title of Queen of Heaven. God is the king, Mary is the queen. And again, we see this line crossed where some are worshiping someone other than God. And I want to remind you that the father only gives his seat, his throne, to his son. Now, the reason I think that's important to point out this morning is not just to uh, cast dispersions or talk about theology, but... The reason I want you to notice the difference here is because that element of, of, of idolizing Mary goes against everything that we begin to see when we read about the story of Mary, her very spirit, her very essence. What makes Mary so powerful and compelling is that she truly was just a humble servant. This is how she sees herself in Luke 1, and it comes up again and again. She doesn't refer to herself as the mediatrix or the co-redemptrix or certainly the queen of heaven. No, she refers to herself as the humble servant who magnifies the Lord. In fact, that's what I believe drew God's attention to her. This is what I believe caused God's blessing to be upon her is that Mary understood that the story wasn't about her. And I want to underline this for you this morning. I want you to hear this this morning, that your story will never make sense if you think it's about you. Your story is never going to make sense now or in retrospect if you think it's supposed to be about you. And Mary is the model for this. She understood that this story isn't about her. That in this movie called Life, she's not the star. And if you want to see God's plan unfold, 
If you want to look back in hindsight and recognize just how God was at work, you've got to get yourself off the center of the stage because God's plan does not simply revolve around you. It is much, much bigger. Mary, we are told, is from the city of the town of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a small town, probably in that day had about 300 people. Most, uh, about half the population in Nazareth died at childbirth. Just that was the reality of that era. About, uh, for those who survived childbirth, the life expectancy would have been about 30-something. That was just the way things were. Especially in those backwater towns, it was an insignificant place to be from. In fact, I almost imagine God sending Gabriel the angel to Nazareth and, and Gabriel has to check it out on Waze or Google Maps or something to figure out exactly where it is. But Gabriel finds Nazareth and he appears to Mary and she is understandably shocked as he tells her that she is someone who is highly favored with God. In fact, verse 29 says that when Mary hears these words, she is greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this was. She didn't understand. And oh boy, it's only going to get more complicated as he explains the meaning of his mission in a second. I'm sure as, as that angel stands before her, she's thinking, you know, I, I think you got the wrong house. I think this is a wrong number. In fact, I'm pretty confident that this isn't supposed to be me. This happens sometimes. Gabriel, you were supposed to go to Jerusalem. There are some prominent people here, but you took a left instead of a right, and this is how you ended up here at my place. I'm sure this just didn't make sense at all. She is troubled. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Mary, you have found favor with God. And there's where I'd like to camp out this morning. I want you to think about highly favored. Twice we are told in this passage that Mary found favor with God. Highly favored. And in fact, if you think about it, instead of highly favored, the world might have used words like completely overlooked, terribly insignificant, virtually unknown. But in hindsight, when you look back, here's the one thing that we're going to see again and again in this Advent season, and it really is throughout Scripture. In hindsight, what becomes clear to us is that God often uses the overlooked. God highly favors someone who the world completely ignores. That's one of the MOs, in fact, for God. That's how He works. If you look at the story of Scripture again and again, you look at the story of God's plan, and what you see is he chooses people you would never expect him to choose. That's why you better be, not be surprised if he decides to use you. In fact, here's a question I want us to wrestle with. What was it about Mary that invited God's favor? What was it about her that invited God's blessing into her life? We all want to be favored by God. You want to be a part of the story that God is writing. What was it about Mary that allowed her to be used by him? What made her an important person 
in God's kingdom. Forbes magazine put out a list of the most powerful, most important, significant people. And the article began this way. There are 7 billion people in the world. These are the 70 that matter. <laughs> now, I should tell you up front, I checked. My name was not on that list. And I checked, and your name wasn't on that list either, okay? Interesting, the criteria they had to make that list. How many people does the person have power over? Number one, power position. Question number two, what financial resources do they control? Three, does the person have influence in more than one sphere or area? And question number four, how actively does the person wield his or her power? Now, interesting to me, does God read Forbes? It's an interesting question. You think in Nazareth that day he was checking and wondering about their list compared to his? Probably not. He didn't consult Forbes when he went to Mary and said, Mary, you are highly favored. You are chosen by God. In fact, if there was an opposite list of the least important people, she might have made that list. She didn't have any power, no position of respect. She didn't have a resume that would, would catch your eye. She didn't come from the right family. She didn't live in the right place. She was not a person of wealth. In fact, you remember, she was so poor that Joseph and Mary, after they had Jesus and took him to the temple, they were not able to sacrifice uh, for the dedication as the law stipulated. They were supposed to take a lamb, but because they were so poor, they took two doves, two birds instead. And you look at her life and you realize, wow, Lord, God, what's important? Do you look so different? than what we often think of. His favor looks differently. In hindsight, we realize how significant it is that Mary made God's list. And, and just this morning, I want to challenge you because maybe that causes us to shift our criteria. Don't you think that one day in hindsight, that it will seem ridiculous that the people we celebrate and follow and are obsessed with are the people who can get in front of a camera and pretend to be a character and memorize lines? I think one day we'll see how ridiculous it is that we would dare gauge somebody's worth by how much money they have. One day you will see how ridiculous it is that you feel better about the car you drive or the bigger home you live in. It will seem so foolish in the economy of heaven that you thought that's what mattered. One day, maybe one day, we'll take seriously what Jesus said when he said, the least among you will be called the greatest. But for now, the world seems impressed with the, the brash and the arrogant. When church, we need to remember God favors the humble. 
and those who are willing to bend their knees. Right now, it would seem like the world pays attention to those who are self-sufficient when God pays attention to those who completely rely on Him. We honor the powerful. He honors the servant. And so, yes, the world may follow people and like their tweets and watch their Instagrams, but heaven's economy is different. And I just remind you, at the end, it's probably not going to matter how much power you wielded. It will matter how much love you shared. It will matter how much glory you gave to God. And if you look at Mary's life, you can talk about how obedient she was, and she was. If you look at her life, you can tell and talk about how faithful she was, and she was. But I think that it was her humility that drew the favor of God more than anything else. And so with this news and reflecting on the experience with Elizabeth, she breaks out into a song. A song about God's greatness. A song that sings of his power and his might. And in that song, she describes herself. She says, I'm just a humble servant. Somehow, God, you have been mindful of me. In all generations, you have chosen me. Listen, you will never have an appropriate view of God if you don't have a realistic or proper view of yourself. My friends, you cannot magnify God if you think the story is about you. You can't put a spotlight on God if you refuse to get off the stage. You know, sometimes the Lord graces his people with examples of this. I can't help but think about next Saturday when we're going to celebrate the lives of two people in our church. Linda Wyant and Jessica Larson. I'm not going to talk much about them. I'll do that next weekend. But I want to just acknowledge that both of them were lights in our church who are enjoying their reward. But in both cases, we saw true servants of Christ. And if you struggle as I do, we don't understand. Lord, why? Why now? And yet we trust him. They were lights that reflected God's glory. J.C. Ryle wrote, Humility is the highest grace that can adorn the Christian character. It is a grace, however, that is in reach of every converted person. In other words, you can be humble too. Proverbs 3, 4 says, God has no use for conceited people, but shows favor to the humble. Mary takes on this huge responsibility, all the scandal, all the hardship that would be involved in carrying and delivering Jesus, so much that she could not possibly understand, but she chooses in that moment to point to God. She says the strength 
that she has will come from him. It's found in him. She gives all the glory to him. There are nine times in this song where she uses the word he. There are six times in this song when she uses the word his. The song is not about her. The song is about her God. And that's my challenge for you during this Advent season. That's the song I want you to sing that every morning when you wake up, that you would acknowledge, Lord, I realize today is not about me. And may you use me, your humble servant, to magnify, to glorify your name in some way. May my life magnify you. May my life shine light on your grace. That that would be our prayer, that that would be our song, that we would have a right view of ourselves so that we might develop a proper and glorious view of our God. Is that a song you're willing to sing? Lord, may it be. May I be your humble servant. Use me as you will. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the example of Mary and some modern contemporary examples in our own church. Lord, teach us the way of humility, for we know that that's where we find favor with you. Lord, teach us how to shine the light of your grace and magnify who you are in our lives, that that light might shine, that the gospel message might might shine in such a way that the darkness cannot comprehend, the darkness will not over, uh, be, be uh, able to, to overcome it, but that, Lord, we would be your light of grace to a world that needs you. I pray, Lord, that you would take young people in this sanctuary and they might commit their way to you right now. I pray that, Lord, all of us would have an attitude of, Father, use me. Take me. Use my life. And humility, Lord, we just say, I'm yours. And as we close this service, Lord, have your way. As we prepare this morning to sing our final song, I want to open the altar. And I want to just ask you, are you willing to humble yourself and come here to this altar and bend your knee and humbly say, Lord, I am your servant. Would you use me? Don't come as an act of pride. Come as an act of humility to say, Lord, I want to be yours. I want nothing left but to be used up for your kingdom. May my life magnify who you are. And if that's a stirring in your heart and a desire that you have, and you'd like to just express that in a very tangible way, we're going to pray that you be filled with the Spirit and that you find the favor of God and that he use you to touch the world because he uses people just like you. You didn't make that list of Forbes. So what? God wants to use you for his purposes. Let's stand and as we sing and meditate, I invite you to come if you'd like to do so. And let's go before our Heavenly Father.